And uh, I want to read verse 1 and 2, and then I'm going to read verse 9. For I considered all of this in my heart, so that I could declare it to all, that the righteous and the wise and their works are in the hand of God. People know neither love nor hatred by anything they see before them. All things come alike. All things come alike to all. One event happens to the righteous and the wicked, the good, the clean, and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and to him who does not sacrifice. As it is the good, so it is the sinner. He who takes an oath as he who fears an oath. In verse 10, whatever your hands find to do, do it with all or with, with your might. For there is no work or device or knowledge of wisdom in the grave where you are going. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for this day. We thank you for what we have experienced through the move of your spirit. Now, God, speak to us as only you can. We thank you and we bless you in the mighty name of Jesus. And the church said amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. As I'm listening to that passage, I'm feeling like I'm in the funeral home. And I'm saying, oh, Lord. Uh, I absolutely really try to obey the assignments in the word that God gives me. And sometimes when I hear a scripture that the Lord places on my heart for a series, uh, I have no idea where that passage is going to take me. I, I start off with what I think it's going to say. And then it takes us down the trail of the journal called the Book of Ecclesiastes. When I prayed about uh, what to share with you today on this Vision Sunday, I remember the story that I heard that uh, caught my attention. As a man was reflecting on his life, he said, I've sure gotten old. I've had two bypass surgeries, a hip replacement, new knees, fought prostate cancer and diabetes. I'm half blind, can't hear anything quieter than a jet engine, take 40 different medications that make me dizzy, winded, and subject to blackouts. Had bouts with dementia, had poor circulation, hardly feel my hands and feet anymore. I can't remember if I'm 85 or 92. Lost all my friends, but thank God I still have my driver's license. <laughs> Amen. One of the hardest things as we get older, and I, I remember how I couldn't wait to bid out of my parents' house, is that 
if when you do take a senior's driver's license, that's usually directing them down the green mile. That's like a death knell. Now, while elderly people are often the target of many coarse jokes and viewed in the Western world in a negative light, God's word teaches us to value older saints, that is, seasoned followers of Jesus Christ. In the oldest book of the Bible we read, in the book of Job, wisdom is with the aged men, and that's generic. It's with the elderly, men and women. And with length of days comes understanding. Wisdom is with the aged, and with length of life comes understanding. Again, God gives instruction regarding older people. In the book of Leviticus, chapter 19, verse 32, stand up in the presence of the age, show respect for the elderly, and revere your God. I am the Lord. We used to think when our parents told us to call the elder uh, adults Mr. or Miss or stand up, give your seat, we used to think that that was just something that they made up to teach us to respect the, our elders. But that's right out of the word of God. Honor the age. Stand up. Reverence those who have grown old and seasoned in the Lord. The same directive was given to young Pastor Timothy by the Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. He says, never speak harshly to an older man, but plead with him respectfully just as though he were your own father. Talk to the younger men and as you would to a much beloved brother. Treat older women as mothers and the girls, the women in your church as sisters, thinking only pure thoughts about them. That's the word of God. Amen. These are just a few examples of God, how, how God values older believers for who they are in him and what they can offer to you by way of wisdom provided to them for you that God has placed in the body of Christ older saints. And I can remember that there was a time when I was the youngest guy in the room. The youngest guy in the room. Started seminary at 21, finished at 25, and all those old jokers were around me. Uh, and I, 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 I looked up to them. They were established, married, but I wasn't, and so forth. Now I'm not the youngest guy in the room. And so the Lord says, honor those who have matured in age and are seasoned in the Lord. Now, having shared these superlatives, these attributes about older saints, let me throw some water on what I've just said. Everybody with gray hair ain't wise, nor are they living godly lives. So just don't assume that if somebody's got gray hair, that that wisdom comes with that. There's some old fools, and there's some dirty old men and women. And so it is not always true that wisdom and godliness come with age. 
Now, some of you remember the wisest man that God identifies for us in the Bible from the human side is a man named Solomon. And most of us can recall when Solomon first received the call from God to succeed his father, King David, a man after God's own heart. And the scripture says the night that Solomon learned that he would become Israel's new king, that he went before the Lord and he prayed in humility, and he said in 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 9, Therefore give your servant an understanding heart to judge your people, that I may discern good and evil, for who is able to judge this great people of yours? He came to God in wisdom. He did not ask for the life of his enemies. He did not ask for length of days for his own life, nor did he ask for material wealth. And so God responded to Solomon's cry for help to become the leader that he desired to be. God responded in, in verse 12. The Bible says that God says, Behold, I have done according to your words. See, I have given you a wise and understanding heart so that there has not been anyone like you before, nor shall any like you arise after you. Solomon is the most intelligent, wise man who ever walked on the planet. When you read his resume, we're not going to have time to talk about all of his prolific writings, all of the poems. Many of the Psalms were written by Solomon. He was a great architect. He was a great strategist. Uh, he was, uh, uh, the people would come from around the world to seek uh, direction and counsel from this man. And so God answered his prayer. Not only did he give him wisdom, but he gave him wealth and, and offered him length of life. And so if the story stopped with 1 Kings chapter 3, we would say, what a great and happy ending for this young king, Solomon. But the story doesn't stop with Solomon coming to God in humility. Because when you come to chapter 11 in 1 Kings, verse 4, the Bible says, as Solomon grew old, his wives, his many foreign wives, turned his heart away from God. And his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God as the, as the heart of his father, David. Solomon decided to enter the Guinness World Book of Records. He had 700 wives and 300 mistresses. And then he met the Shunammite woman. And he had to write an entire book about the black sister in the Song of Solomon. And the, the Bible says that when he became old, that his many wives, this billionaire, this brilliant man, can you imagine having billions of dollars and knowing how to, to explore every sensual pleasure imaginable to the human mind? This was Solomon. He had the ability to try everything that a human being's mind would allow for them to try. And so as he aged, 
he comes to the end of his life and he writes the book of Ecclesiastes. And if you read this book, you would think that the person writing it wasn't even saved. And the reason why it sounds like this, this guy is uh, depressed, is hopeless, and the primary word in the book, the recurring uh, word, all is vanity. Life is futile. Life is empty. You live, you die. You live, you die. This was a man who was allowed by the Holy Spirit to write the book of Ecclesiastes while he was in a carnal state of mind. He writes this book from the perspective of an unsaved person, even though Solomon was superintended by the Holy Spirit to write these words so that we could know that if we did what Solomon did to try to fill the empty void in his life apart from God, we would end up feeling the same way that he did. And so when we come to uh, the book of Ecclesiastes, we need to understand that, that this is a man who is aged. And in spite of the fact that he has divine wisdom, he was not operating in the spirit of God. He was operating, there is worldly wisdom and there's godly wisdom. This was unsanctified wisdom when he talked about what life meant and how you should live. And then every now and then throughout the book, and then by the time we get to chapter 12, he repents. And he says, remember your creator in the days of your youth. And he says, the, the chief end of man, in verse, the final verse, he says, is to honor God and to, to, to fear God and to obey him. And so he finally comes around, but it took him 12 chapters to get to the place where he was finally recommitted and dedicated to the Lord. Somebody say amen. amen. And so the words recorded in this book are from the perspective of a man who was not walking with God. It doesn't say he didn't go to church. It doesn't say he didn't read the scriptures that were available to him at that time. It didn't say that he didn't know how to quote the Bible, but he was not walking with the Lord. He had 700 wives. How many of you know I can't handle the one I got? <laughs> Can you imagine what it must have been like for this brother to have 700? 700? How many did Will Chamberlain say? He did the line. Yeah, anyway, 700 wives. I guess he said it was cheaper to keep them. I don't know. 700. And what we're going to discover, by the time we get to the end of what Solomon has to say, is that you and I must do whatever it takes. Whatever it, do whatever it takes to glorify God. Do say, do whatever it takes. And that's what he says in verse 10 of chapter 9. He says, in verse, he says, whatever your hands find to do, do it with your might. Whatever it takes, that ought to be your mindset about life. Whatever it takes to live the life that God intended for me to do, I'm not allowing anything or anybody to hold me back. So he shares from his experience that revealed uh, uh, his internal conflict and struggle as he is not walking with the Lord. 
And he tells us to avoid the errors that he has made. And here, these are the four things that we're going to consider. First of all, we need to remember, as you are making, doing whatever it takes to make the best out of life to the glory of God, is to remember God is in charge. God, remember, God is in charge. There's a second thing in verses 3 through 5, 3 through 6. Remember that life is brief. And death is certain. Life is brief. And death is certain. And thirdly, we're going to see, remember that, remember to enjoy God's blessing. Remember to enjoy God's blessings. And finally, remember to live life, live, remember to live a life of excellence to the glory of God. Remember to live a life of excellence to the glory of God. Now, first thing is, Remember, God is in control. Listen to verses 1 and 2. For I considered, I thought about it, I reflected, I pondered as I came to the end of my life. As I recognized that I wasn't going to be here forever. The reality of my mortality, I'm staring it in the face every single day. He says, I considered my heart so that I could declare. I came to this conclusion. That the righteous and the wise and their works are all in the hands of God. God is in control. Somebody say amen. amen. My waistline may not be in control. The Botox ain't helping it stay in place, but God. Somebody say amen. People neither know love nor hatred by anything they see there before them. All things come alike to all. One event happens to the righteous and the wicked, and I'm not going to read all of that, but he's saying Solomon shares his conclusions as he reflects on his life. The first thing he discovers is that life is unpredictable and complicated for everybody. I used to look and see the past, and I think that, man, I know he had a great week. I know he didn't have to get any bill collectors that he was dealing with, and I know uh, everybody that stepped in. No, 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 no. Life is unpredictable and complicated for everybody. Not every day, but from time to time. The stuff that we hear, let me claim it, declare it, and decree it. He says, here's what scripture says, but no one knows whether... Love or hate awaits him. You don't know how people are going to feel about you, how they're going to treat you. You can do, give them your arm. You can sacrifice your life for them, and you don't know if they'll appreciate it, if they'll give, they acknowledge it. You can't make nobody love you. You can't even make anybody like you. He says life is unpredictable, and people will drive you insane trying to impress people, trying to be accepted, afraid of being rejected. And on your best day, you, 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 done, you done got you. You've done all the things that you've committed to do, and still nobody acknowledges it. Isn't it amazing? You can gain 30 pounds, lose it, and people say, oh, wonderful, you've lost 30 pounds, et cetera. And then you put it back on, and nobody says anything. They're thinking it now. So they acknowledge what they can see, but if you lose the 30 pounds and keep it off, who tells you, boy, you're doing a great job keeping the weight off? 
What we do, we acknowledge what we can see, but God is concerned about our hearts. God is concerned about our motives. And so he's saying, when it comes to this thing called life, it's a roller coaster. Strap up. Don't be prepared to bail out because it gets hard. It gets, it gets heated sometimes. Life is unpredictable and complicated. You don't know who's going to love you, who's not going to love you. It's like Forrest Gump said, Mama used to say, life is like a box of chocolate. You never know what you're going to get. You never know what you get out. You go outside, you get ready to drive, you look out the window, your car is gone. And, and, and then you realize, oh, you know what? I forgot to. Life is unpredictable in that way. You go to work and everything's fine. You get a phone call and now you're in a crisis. Unpredictable and complicated. He says, life has no favorites. There's no partiality. You may be special and unique to your family, your friends, and your Facebook, and your Twitter followers. Oh, that's, that's poo, and that's boo, and oh, man, did you see that? You made all that true. But the sun does not rise and set on you. On your worst day, the sun's going to shine. And on your birthday, it's going to rain. And you have no control over it because the sun shines on the just and the unjust. One of the ways that you've known that you've matured beyond adolescence is that you realize that the world does not evolve around you. I literally used to believe that on my birthday, everybody in the world somehow knew that it was my birthday. And I believe in my innocence and ignorance Every, every, every time I'd have a birthday, something special would happen. God was just keeping me in my world of fantasy. <laughs> and then I realized the day, when I'm on my birthday, I got a traffic ticket. I told the officer, but, but, but officer, <laughs> it's my birthday. He said, show me your license. I don't have it. Okay, that's another <laughs> citation. <laughs> Life has no favorites. You may be your daddy's favorite, your mama's favorite, but life. Some people never get the memo. Isaiah said, we're like grass. We're here today. We're going tomorrow. Solomon looked at life in his carnal frame of mind like an assembly line. You're just another car. Next, 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 next. And bottom line, when everything is said and done, when they tag us and bag us, life has no favorites. That's why we, I'm going to get two more of it here. But anyway, life has no favorites. Thank God that we do have people who love us. I want you to know that there are no Grammy Awards for life. People may recognize you and give recognition, but those recognitions will soon grow old and, and accumulate dust. Life does not stand back and say, aren't you great that somehow you transcended? No. Uh, David said, God, you are our creator. It, what's amazing is that you are mindful of us. We are, we are but dust. 
You've made us a little lower than the angel, but yet you have crowned us with glory and honor. You have placed us in a position where we can have dominion upon the earth. God did that. Life has no favorites, no partiality. We keep thinking that life owes us something, that we somehow are entitled. No, we're not. Come on now. No, we aren't. Somebody say amen. We're going on. Here's another thing that he says uh, as he reflected on his life when he's talking about hate, love and hate and what happens to evil people happens to good people. What happens to those who offer sacrifices and who don't offer sacrifices, those who make an oath to God and those who don't make an oath to God. He says life happens to everybody. He says events happen to the righteous and the wicked, to the good and, the, and to the clean and the unclean. Bad things happen to good people. Everybody on the plane that died wasn't evil. Everybody that gets cancer and other diseases, they're not getting cancer because they necessarily are, God is angry with them and punishing them. Life happens. The Bible says, through one man, in Romans chapter 5, verse 12, Sin entered into the world, and through Adam's sin, his disobedience to God, death has passed from one man to all. It's kind of like a football team. You've got 11 men on, on the offense, and all you need is for one person to jump offside, and the entire team is penalized for one person's penalty, one person's decision. When Adam stepped, broke the rules, when Adam violated the law of God, we all, are now penalized because in life is happening to us. The Bible says in Romans chapter 8, he says that all of creation is like a woman who is travailing in labor. We're like a woman in her ninth uh, centimeter, you know, what is it, trimester centimeter or whatever, when, you, when you're dilating in the ninth part of the last part of it, whatever it is, you're in the last part of it, amen. And that little joker, he ain't coming. And so the Lord says that in our flesh, because of the limitations caused by sin, we are begging in, in the spirit realm to, to be delivered from this body of sin, to be delivered from these limitations, to be delivered from this sin-cursed world. So that's what I concluded. With all of my money, with all my education, with all my wisdom, with all of my women, I conclude that life still happens. Now, why should we have hope in spite of the realities of all that Solomon has said about the commonality between sinners and the righteous? Theologically, he says that their works are in whose hands? The reason we should have hope is because the works, everything that everybody does, God has it in his hand. He is in control. He is sovereign. Now, theologically, we get it when we, we quote this all the time, Romans chapter 8, verse 28. For we know that God causes all things to work together for the good of them who love him and are to call according to his purpose. We say that all the time. We know in 1 Corinthians, theologically, there is no temptation that is taking you, but such that is common to man, and God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond that you're able to bear, but he will provide a way that you can escape 
We know theologically God is in charge of all of this. He's not going to allow more to come upon me than I can bear. But then the practical side, Psalm 73, David said, my foot almost slipped. When I saw the wicked prospering, when I saw how their children never got sick, when I saw the car they drove in, when I saw the promotions they kept getting, when I saw how they seemed to always get away because they had the best attorneys, when I saw how they didn't have to live in neighborhoods where kids were being gunned down, when I saw how their children weren't being stricken with SAT, with, with, with socially transmissive diseases, when I saw how they were faring better, he said, I almost walked away from God. Theologically, I know that he's causing all things, but practically, look at how they live. Look at what they drive. Look at how they And then David said, until I turned my eyes towards the sanctuary, until I lifted up my eyes, until the hills from whence cometh my help, my help come when I looked and saw my, my, the two objects of my faith, and I didn't focus on the reality that life does happen, but I know that the life that is happening is in the hands of God. God is in control. Do you believe that? Every single detail, not a hair falls from our head, not a tear, not a word escapes his notice. God is in charge of all of this. God is in charge. Remember, here's the second thing. Life is short and death is certain. Listen to verse 3. He says, this is the evil in everything that happens under the sun. The same destiny overtakes us all, the rich and the poor. The hearts of people, moreover, are full with evil and their and." There, there is madness in their heart. When you think about what's going on in Washington right now, and a mother who drowns her three children while singing amazing grace to them, there is madness in the hearts of people today. PhDs, madness in their hearts. We have wickedness in our hearts. He says we all face the same destiny. It will overtake us all. Why they, he says, and they, they're full with evil and their madness in their hearts. While they live, they live to, to, for pleasure and to satisfy themselves. But afterwards, they join us. They join the dead. We all have that common denominator. Remember the story of, uh, of Lazarus and the rich man, Dives? says one was rich and the other was poor. One was seated at the gate. He was so poor that he, he had to eat the crumbs that dogs left. But the rich man fed sumptuously every day. He had parties every day. But a day came on the calendar, and, and the Bible says that Lazarus died, and so did the rich man. The common denominator is that we all are going to make that appointment. He says they came and they died. They have no further reward for the living, no he said, anyone who is among the living has hope. Even live dogs are better than a dead lion. He's saying, during this time, the lowest creature, unlike today, we treat dogs like they're humans. Back this, during this time, dogs were, 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 were looked upon with disdain. 
they were they were uh, they were uh, avoided because they were like they were roving vicious packs of dogs, and so he says the most lonely creature walking the face of the earth is better than the king of the jungle as long as the one is alive and the other one's dead. What can a dead lion do? A dog at least still is alive. That's the comparison. Stay with me. They have no further reward even in their, and their names are forgotten. Their love, their hate, and their jealousy has long since vanished. Never again will they have a part in anything that happens in, under the sun. Under the sun means on the earth while you have time to do the work that the Lord has assigned to you. Now, notice how Solomon felt about this, the brevity of life that is common and, and the certainty of death that is common to all mankind. He didn't feel that it was fair. He said that evil and the righteous experience the same outcome. Why do godly people have to go through the same thing? Why do we all have to die? It's not fair. That's what Solomon was saying. He doesn't feel that it was fair that people that pursue evil and enjoy it and die with a smile on their face and live like the devil their whole life. And then we eulogize them and talk about how great they were and we know they're in heaven right now. No, there's another place. <laughs> you get to enjoy all your sins and then you have this luxurious, fantastic, 30-car procession funeral. He says, it ain't fair. And then he says, it, 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 and when you get a chance, you can look further. It's not fair because all of us have to go through the dying and death process. You, go, you get the sickness. You get the, you, 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 you get the organs start to fail and all. He says, we all go through that unless the Lord takes you. He says, it's not fair. Why can't Christians just close their eyes and go to heaven? Why, why, do, why, do, why can't we live to be a certain age, and then when we get about a year from when we're going to die, then we really sell out to Jesus? We really live for the Lord. <laughs> well, most, most of these churches now are giving the Lord an hour. You go to church for an hour, and then God is supposed to be impressed. He said he didn't feel that it was fair because people were deliberately living, living lives where they wasted the opportunities, just sucking up the oxygen. There are people who do nothing productive with their lives, and still their outcome at the end of life is the same as the righteous. They die. He says it's not fair. There are people who are just living life going through the motions. And he says for somebody to not make the best, to do all they can, with their life, he said it's not fair that they get to just die. Are you still with me? Yes. Now, which leads him to say, this is why you need to make every moment count. Make every moment count. You need to be 70 and 80 and however old. And say, oh, you know what? I wish I had. Now that I know. Somebody said, by the time your mind gets right, by the time your face, your face clears up from pimples, your mind goes. But now, now we're learning that we need to seize the moment. Say, seize the moment. He said that the dead have no hope to recover the time that was wasted. There's no hope 
once you have finished your assignment. You don't get a second chance. I don't care what the Catholic Church said. They can pray for you on All Saints Day. You can keep giving your money for condolences for your, for your ungodly, unsaved relatives. That ain't going to get them. There's no such thing called purgatory and in between heaven and hell. There's no hope for the dead. He said they don't get a second chance to make a first impression. This is, a, this is life is not a, a, a audition. This is the real show. Somebody say amen. amen. The living are aware of that, that death is inevitable, which allows, he says, here's, the, here's why we need to see the most. As long as you're alive, it doesn't matter how old you are, you have a chance to change. You don't have to keep living a life where you're just going through the motions. You don't have to keep living a life of fear. You don't have to keep living a life where you're trying to impress people. You don't have to keep living a life where you're chasing somebody else's dream. You can live a life to accomplish the works of him who sent you with the gifts that he has given you. As long as you have breath in your body, there's work that you can do. You have a chance to seize the moment. The dead know nothing. That's not soul sleep where Jehovah's Witness teach when you die, you're done. No, he's saying once you're dead, the nothing that you know is how to, you have no capacity, no ability to impact anything that's going on in the world under the sun. Your opportunity to make your mark for eternity, to make a generational statement that follows you even after you've died. You, not, you have no chance to do that once you're done, once you've died. The dead lack opportunity to earn a reward for their labor. Whatever you've done before you go, you will be rewarded. You don't get a second chance to do what you should have done. Does that make sense? Says the dead that die, those who die, their, their love and their hate and their jealousy have long since vanished. Never again will they have any part in anything that happens under the sun. What he's saying is that when you don't make the most out of the time that God has given you, you will soon be forgotten. You would not have made an impact in this world that God placed you here for a purpose. Does that make sense? You will soon be forgotten. Remember the story of the prodigal son? This is what, when he talks about the, the certainty of death and the brevity of life, life is short. Man, five minutes ago, I was 25. It seemed like that. But now I'm 65. I thank you. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I feel great, too. <laughs> Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. But that's how quickly you're 25 now, you're 30, you're 40, 30, 40, and it's like, you can't even remember. Where did the time go? If you aren't intentionally making every effort to allow every day to count, you won't have anything that counts when you look back. Say amen. Now, remember the story of the prodigal son? Prodigal son had a rich father who had two sons. And the prodigal son demanded from his dad resources, wealth. Give me my inheritance. Now, the father wasn't even dead. You get your inheritance when the parents die. But the father gives the son the material resources. Now, he doesn't tell the son what to do with it, but the son has everything that he needs to be successful. And now the son has a choice. Am I going to live with these resources according to how I have been trained? How I've been taught under the roof of my godly father? Or am I going to live 
the way my flesh will dictate. And we all know the story. The Bible says he didn't move to another. He didn't move up the street. He didn't move into uh, uh, another. Uh, into the sun. He moved to another country. He didn't want his father and family to know anything. He didn't want any contact. And he took his resources. He took his wealth. And he spent it on living a, the, a wild life. Anything that was available, drugs, women's. You, you name it, he did it. And he had, a, he had an entourage. People followed him until he was broke. And then the Bible says he ended up nearly to the point of death. He was in a pig's pen, starving, in need of food, and he was prepared to eat the husk that the pigs eat. And the scripture says he came to himself. Now, just like God, in that, in that analogy of the prodigal, the father gave his son talents and material resources to be successful. God, the moment you said yes to Jesus, he has endowed you. He has entrusted to you spiritual gifts and talents to do the work that you were put on the planet to do. And then the decision is that God said, I have created you to do good works, but you have a decision to make. Will you do like the prodigal with the gifts and the talents that God has given you? Will you use them to the glory of God or will you spend your life on yourself squandering? Now, the good news is that the prodigal returned and he was restored, but not every prodigal gets to return. Sometimes by the, by the time we come to ourselves, we're on our deathbed. By the time we come to ourselves, we, we have lost our minds. Drugs have burned our minds out. By the time we come to ourselves, we've killed three marriages. We've destroyed relationships with our children. We've destroyed relationships with our family. You come back, but what you killed is dead. Life is short. And death is sore. But here, the good news, he says, remember to enjoy God's blessing. And I used to read this the wrong way. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you die. Say, see there? He's talking about partying. That's how Solomon just said, man, life is so meaningless, you might as well just get blasted every day. You might as well get stoned. Ain't nothing wrong with a little crack. It sure is. Amen. 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 Praise the Lord. That's what I used to think he meant out of context. But when you study the scriptures, listen to what he says. He said, go eat your food with gladness and drink your wine with a joyful heart. For God has already approved what you do. And what he's saying is this. You should enjoy the blessings of the Lord. Yes, life has a common destiny, but we understand that God is in charge. Lest we know that life is short and death is certain, but God is in charge. And the God who's in charge, the Bible says that God already approves of what you do. You have the favor of God. Jesus said it this way. I have come to give you life and to give you life more abundantly. And so here's how you should live your life. 
with the time that you have left. And guess what? You don't have no guarantee. I don't care how young you are that you're going to be here tomorrow because tomorrow is really not promised to any of us. Our lives are but a vapor. First thing in verse 7, he said, go eat your good food and with gladness. Be thankful for your daily bread. You may not have lobster and steak, but for your daily bread. He said, be glad for the food that God provides. Nothing, by, nothing like a, a, a complaining, negative, ungrateful, always finding something wrong. You didn't lick the plate, but you don't like the food. The only thing you didn't eat on the menu was the silverware. And they had to pull you away from that. <laughs> Learn how to be grateful. Does that characterize your life? The Bible says be thankful in all things, for this is the will of God concerning you in Christ Jesus. Don't be thankful for all things, but in all things, in all things, through Christ Jesus. Why? Because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Be thankful. Be thankful. Nothing like somebody who always complaining. Here's how you know when they complain. They're gossiping, talking about somebody. I just wondered if you knew. I'm, I'm like saying, did they talk to the person that they tell talking to you about? If they won't talk to the person that they want to talk to you about behind their back, then that is gossiping. That is a person who does not have a grateful spirit, a thankful spirit. Take time to celebrate your victories. Say, take time. Take time. Celebrate your victories. He said, for God has already approved of what you do. God is pleased with you. And when he allows you through the gift and the talent to accomplish great things, it may not be great in the eyes of others, but you've been working at it. You've been going to school. You've been praying about something. And now you have deliverance. You need to celebrate it. Well, when I retire, I'm going to really enjoy it. And then the day you retire, you get diagnosed with stage four lung cancer. And then the, the vulture starts, whoa, I know he got some money. I wonder how long. I actually have people saying that to me at the hospital where I work. How long do you think this is going to take? I'm the power of attorney. I'm the medical. I'm, I'm the executor. And uh, I didn't want to open up the, the box yet, but I just, I, I just want to get an idea so I can plan my flight. And... <laughs> Celebrate your victories. The Bible says rejoice with those who rejoice. There's some folk who are never going to celebrate with you because what God has done for you, he didn't do it for them. And the reason he didn't do it for them is because you, know how, you haven't learned how to celebrate with nobody. You haven't learned how to give thanks for what God has already done. Why should he do something more when you didn't accept and appreciate what he already did? Take time to celebrate. Now, some of you, oh, see, I'm going to go on another. No, that's not what this means. Christians never retire. God didn't put us on this planet to live in a constant state of ease. You ought to be striving for something. You ought to be, there ought to be, there ought to be, the Bible says, how can two walk together? There ought to be some tension in your life because as a believer, you are walking in the direction of the Lord, which is different contrary from the world. Let me hurry up. Take time to celebrate. Live a pure life. Say pure. He said, always be clothed in white. 
I said, some people take that literally. You got to wear white every day. And or when people go to funerals, instead of wearing black, they wear white. Well, the idea behind wearing white to funerals and this whole concept, the, the Hebrew idiom here, it, it literally means that white in the Bible is associated with holiness and purity. It also is a statement externally of what should be going on internally. It's a statement of peace. So I'm not saying you always need to be wearing white garments on the outside, but you always should be living a pure and set-apart life unto God. Then he says, always anointing your head with oil. He said, look good and smell good. But oil also is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to live a pure life empowered by the oil of the Spirit of God. How many of you know there ain't nothing wrong with no perfume and cologne? Somebody say amen. Thank you, Jesus, for cologne and perfume. Thank you, Jesus, for soap. Thank you for other body washes. Thank you for running water in my home. Somebody say amen. So he actually says, you're celebrating the blessings of God by, by, by treating yourself good, it's okay. You don't have to buy everything from Kmart, Walmart. You can buy something for yourself that is expensive, that's nice, that will last, that won't fall apart when somebody looks at it hard. Well, I got this from the consignment shelf. It was only for 25 years, and then they reduced the price to 30 years. Lord, Lord says, dress in fine clothes. Look your best, smell your best. Is that all right? and get your bargains too. <laughs> Treat life as a gift. The way most people, many, many people are living today, they're playing Russian roulette with their life. Popping pills, more people, we have an opiate epidemic. We got so many people working that are functional drug addicts. Pilots flying planes. Train operators taking you to work. People in the lanes next to you that are driving are blasted from drugs. It's like rolling the revolver of a gun. They're playing Russian roulette. Instead, you should treat life as a gift from God. It can be taken from you in a moment. Somebody say amen. Enjoy every day, he said, with your, with your wife for as long as you, as long as you can. When I said, well, why did he single out a husbands and wives? He said, you know what? Many homes are like war zones. You don't even want to go home. You circle your house like a plane. <laughs> you don't want to land that plane. Somebody said that marriage is like a screen door. You got flies on the outside trying to get in, and people that are married are the flies on the inside trying to get out. He said, you ought, you, you ought to enjoy your spouse. You ought to enjoy marriage. Marriage should be a taste of heaven on earth. You ought to be working to make your mate's life easier, not worse. And notice, I didn't say he ought to be doing that for you. or you, you, you Individually, he ought to be trying to make your life better, and you ought to be trying to make his life better. According to the word of God, you ought to be best friends. God is in charge. Life is short and death is sure, certain. But God says, enjoy my blessings. Enjoy my blessings. Now, you may not be married, but you ought to have some real good friends that you sure enough can enjoy yourself with. 
people that enjoy you and love you. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Here's the final thing. We're done. Remember to strive for excellence in everything that you do with all your might. With all your might. The word excellence means something of highest and finest quality. That means that when it comes to doing for God, don't give God leftovers, defected stuff, just rolling out of the bed to the things of God. No seriousness. Serve the Lord with excellence with all your might. Why should you do it? Because you don't get a second chance to make a first impression. The Bible said, is a point under man wants to die, but after this, you don't get a second chance. After this is the judgment. You don't get another chance to get this thing right. People ought to enjoy being around you. You ought to be the light and the salt. You shouldn't be some, oh, here he comes again. Here she comes again. You, you should be, you, you should be uh, uh, noted for your excellence, the quality of what you do. You're going to be rewarded, the Bible says. When you serve the Lord, every man's work shall be tried according to what sort they are. You will be rewarded. And if your works remain, he said, you will be. God is counting. God is keeping account of all that you do. Not what you do, but why you do it. He's judging hard. Let me finish with this. Here's why you should serve the Lord with excellence in everything that you do. I don't care who looks at you funny. Somebody don't speak. Somebody don't talk. I don't care. I'm not serving you. I'm serving him. He didn't tell you, love you with all my heart. You know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and strength. And guess what? When I'm loving him like that, I'm going to love you the way I should. And thank God that on my worst day, he still loves me. On my so-called best day, he still loves me. Now, why should we do Why We, we owe it to God. Say, I owe it. I owe it. Listen at Psalm 116, verses 16 through 19. Truly, I am your servant, Lord. I serve you just as my mother did. You have freed me from my chains. I will sacrifice a thanks offering to you and call on your name, the name of the Lord. I will fulfill my vow to the Lord in the presence of the people, in the courts of his house, the house of the Lord in, the, in your midst, in Jerusalem. I'm going to praise you because you have broken me free from the chains of sin. I once was lost, and now I'm found. I was blind and couldn't see. I was on my way to a Christless eternity, but the Lord... Lord, the Lord, the Lord say, he, I owe it to him. I owe him my best. Stand with me. I owe him my best. I owe the Lord my best. Do you believe that? Are you going to do whatever it takes in 2020 as we move forward as a church? Do you recognize that you only have an audience of one to please and that the Lord is everywhere where you go? And what you want to do, whenever you've done something, you want the Lord to be well pleased. Let's pray. Father, we bless you and we thank you.